Good morning. Um, as always, it is really um, a great joy and pleasure for me to be back here with you this morning after um, uh, c- coming in from our, our church plant way out near the, um, the ponds in the Summers Corner neighborhood. Really thankful to be back with our St. Paul's family. In fact, the whole team is here today. Um, and so if you have a chance to see them after the service, they would love to share with you about what the Lord is doing and love to hear about what the Lord is um, doing here at St. Paul's. We're very thankful for your support and your prayers and um, this uh, beautiful connection we have with, um, with this church. So thank you for having us back, and um, thank you for, uh, for being, with, um, being here this morning and listening to me preach for a few minutes. We're going to be kicking off now uh, three weeks on stewardship. Next three sermons, this one and the next two are going to be on um, stewardship. And just feel like I have to issue a brief uh, disclaimer about this word before you all shut down and make plans for your next two Sunday mornings so you don't have to hear about this. A brief disclaimer, um, this is not a, a sermon series about giving money to the church. Of course, we would love that. That would be wonderful if, if you felt compelled out of gratitude and love for Jesus and love of this place. By all means, don't let that stop you. But this is about stewardship. Stewardship. How do we steward our lives and our resources? You might have, um, you know, here the, the big three, the, the three T's um, of stewardship, time and talent and treasure but I would suggest to you that it's even, even more than that. It's not just about the stewardship of the things we have, but also the stewardship of our lives and our um, emotions and our loves and our desires and our dreams. How do we steward even these things in the direction of God and for His glory and in His service to His kingdom? What does this stewardship look like? But what our task is this morning is not to get into that part of stewardship so much. Um, But first, before we can even discuss these things, we have to um, explore the orientation of our hearts. What direction are our hearts pointed or what direction are our hearts headed? And I think the challenge for some of us, and especially um, some of us who might have been sitting in church pews for a very long time, is that that our heads oftentimes seem to be oriented in the right direction. We know all the, all the answers. We know all the Bible trivia. We know all the stories. We can recite some of them by memory. Our heads have it figured out, and our heads are thinking about Jesus, maybe pretty frequently. But the question is, what about our hearts? Because too often our heads might be headed and oriented in one direction, but our hearts are going somewhere completely different, complete opposite direction. That happens. It happens. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the orientation of our hearts? And I think what we'll see, especially if we look at our, past, our gospel reading this morning, what we'll see is that, that often our hearts are going to be pointed, they're going to be oriented, they're going to be desiring um, the things that we put our trust in. The things that we put our confidence in. And so if we want to be good stewards of our lives and our blessings that God has given us, um, if we want to properly orient our hearts, we have to diagnose them and we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we find our trust? And where do we find our confidence? Where do we find our trust and our confidence? 
In our passage this morning, this um, passage about the rich young ruler is a great way to explore this question. Where do we find our trust and where do I find where do we find our confidence? Confidence, Because Jesus is, is helping this young man diagnose his heart. And it's a very challenging passage, even for us today. So why don't we open up our scriptures? We're in Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. And uh, hopefully you have a Bible of some sort with you uh, on your phone, or maybe you, you brought one. But um, it's really helpful when you can follow along. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, the story of the rich young ruler, and this is what we're going to see. This is sort of the the main thing we need to realize. Unless, unless we are willing to let go of the very thing in which we have the most confidence and the most trust. Unless we are willing to let go of that very thing that that gives us incredible confidence and incredible trust, unless we can let it go, we will be unable to follow Jesus and unable to share in His kingdom. This is a high-stakes Bible passage. Unless we can let go of the very thing where we have our most trust and our most confidence, we will be unable to follow Jesus and unable to steward our lives and unable to share in His kingdom. So let's take a look. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. Um, A ruler came up to Jesus and asked Him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You like the lead there? He's leading with some flattery. Good teacher. Jesus is having none of that, none of that flattery. Of course, there's some irony here as well. Jesus, I'm sure, is, is thinking, if you only knew. He, he responds, no one is good except God alone. Why are you trying to flatter me? And yet, if you only knew who I was. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's worth diagnosing the question, what is going on here? Does this man really not know? I think he knows. Well, I think he thinks he knows what he must do to inherit eternal life. Maybe there's something lacking in his life. Maybe he's missing something despite all his wealth and power and success. Maybe there's something in this man's life that that he's lacking. But, But I'm guessing that he's feeling pretty good about himself. He doesn't really need Jesus to tell him what he must do to inherit eternal life. No, I think he's fishing for compliments. Do you all do that sometimes? I, I do that. I've done that, right? For preachers, we like confident, compliments. And so, you know, if I ever ask you, hey, how was my sermon this morning? I don't really want to know. <laughs> Just kidding. I do want to know. I, I actually, I love constructive feedback. Absolutely. Maybe not today. Call me tomorrow. But but we fish for compliments, right? We want people to, to flatter us, to tell us what we're doing good, what we're doing right. Hey, good teacher, look at me. What can I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus, he baits him a little bit, right? He, he baits him. He, he sets the hook just a little bit. He says, you know the commandments. There in verse 20. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You know the commandments. 
It's an interesting choice here of the commandments. He doesn't list all ten of them, but he, he does list all of them are very relational, right? And so there's the prohibitions, the things that can inhibit and destroy our earthly relationships, adultery, false witness, um, uh, murder. These things obviously can, can hurt our relationships with each other. There's also the positive one, honor your father and mother, how to build a, a good relationship um, these are all very relational commandments, and they certainly reflect the second part of the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So on one hand, it does look like Jesus is getting to this idea of how are you loving your neighbor? It says, you know the commandments. You want eternal life? You know the commandments. And the young man is getting exactly what he wanted from Jesus. It says, I've done these. I've done all of them. Verse 21, I have kept all of these things from my youth. From the day I could distinguish between right and wrong. From the, the day I was able to know what it meant to follow the commandments of God. This young man is saying, I have done these things. And we have no reason to believe he hasn't. But he's revealing something to Jesus and to us. Where is his confidence placed? Where is he putting his trust? Well, he's putting it in his ability to follow the law. He's putting it in his wealth and his status. He's done the things. He's followed God. He's followed the commandments. Clearly, he's done them the right way because God has blessed him, right, with this abundance of wealth. He's a ruler. He's a man of status and importance. He's obviously been doing the right things because of who he is, is being honored by God. And if, if something were to come crashing down and if something were to fall apart, he has the wealth and the status and the power to pull himself back up, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've already got it. Thanks, Jesus. Jesus isn't finished, is he? I've kept all these things since my youth, the young man says. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, there's one more thing. There's one more thing, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You see what's happening here? Jesus got him, he hooked him, and he went straight for the heart. Give it all away. And follow me. And that is the one thing this man lacks. He lacks confidence in Jesus. He lacks trust in Jesus. He cannot do it. He cannot do it. He's too reliant, too sufficient. I mean, he, he's relying too much on the things of this world, his status and his power and his wealth, that he simply cannot follow Jesus. Now, we have to be careful because while this passage is about wealth, it's not actually primarily about wealth. 
It certainly could be, and I'm guessing for plenty of us in this room, this is a passage about wealth and possessions and how they're getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord. But it's not only about that. The ultimate thing is about misplaced confidence and misplaced trust. If this were a um, prescription for the kingdom, if Jesus was saying, you want to be in the kingdom, these are the things you need to do, give it all away and follow him, I'm going to tell you what, that would be a lot easier than what Jesus is actually telling us to do. If it was a prescription for the kingdom, he would issue it to other people. He would have given it to a man like Zacchaeus, right? The tax collector who is um, wealthy. He, he, he'd come by his wealth by dishonest means as far as the Jews were concerned. And, and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus is amazed at the love and generosity that Jesus would show to him. And he, he vows to, um, to repay what he's taken from people and, and to, to, to double it if need be and to give away half his wealth to the poor. But, but there's not this commandment from Jesus as, if you want to follow me, Zacchaeus, you've got to give it all away. He, he treats these men in different ways. And the reason is because there are different things that are getting in the way of their relationship with him. What is it? that we are having confidence and trust in that we simply cannot let go of. This rich young ruler has confidence and trust in his wealth and his status, and these things will never deliver for him. And each of us has that same thing. What is it? Look at verse 23. When he heard these things, the rich young ruler became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is so hard for us to let go of the things in this world that we're putting trust and confidence in, whether it's wealth, whether it's status, whether it's um, power. Uh, sometimes we put trust and confidence in our families or we get our worth and identity from maybe it's raising children or raising grandchildren, whatever it is, we, we're putting confidence in things that cannot deliver, that cannot give us the kingdom. And Jesus is asking us to consider, what if it was all God? What if it was all God? What if we were called to give it up? I know um, many of you have probably heard this uh, illustration before, but um, it's always striking to me when I think about it. Um, my children, some of them have this habit of like just taking off down our front stairs. I mean, just flying down our stairs. And yet, they don't, they don't just go all the way to the bottom. They usually, when they get to stair, you know, six or so from the bottom, um, rather than continuing on like a normal person, um, they take a flying leap, right? And I'm talking like four, five, six-year-olds. And, and only when I'm there, because, because they see me and the flying leap is directly into my arms, whether I'm expecting it or not. Can you imagine? You've been there. And it's like... I trust you to catch me. 
I know if you don't catch me that I'm going through the front door. (laughs) But I trust you. Do we have that kind of trust in Jesus? The kind that, that would invite us to just let it, let it all go? If he, if he really said, let it all go, can we trust him like that? Or even just on a smaller level, the reality is for most of us, Jesus is not going to call us and say, give it all away and go someplace where you will have nothing to follow me. He might say that to you, and he does say that to people, but he doesn't say that to everyone. But just even in the small day-in and day-out realities of our lives, can we trust Jesus like that? We live in a society and a culture where it is very hard to trust Jesus because it is so easy to trust ourselves. When we've had friends from um, Kenya, and some of them are coming from places in Kenya where it is very hard to be a Christian, where following Jesus might be meaning being outcast from your family, outcast from your tribe. It might be meaning being persecuted. Um, There's some places in this world where if you follow Jesus, you will be put to death. And these are very hard places to follow Jesus. I cannot imagine. And yet sometimes when they come here and they walk our streets and they see our campus and they see our cars and our homes, sometimes what I have heard is this. Not something like, oh, God's really blessed you or God's really blessed your country. No, what I've heard is It must be really hard to be a Christian in this country. And it always knocks me off center because in some hands it's so easy to live here. But I think we get so used to maybe it's the affluence or um, the security we have, the fact that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We get so used to these things, I think that actually it can be really hard to know what it actually means to trust Jesus. Um, Friedrich Buchner has this quote. It has to do with this trust. And he's talking about the idea of, of too often we trust in ourselves, and our own self-reliance. And he says, the human best tends to be at odds with the holy best. To do for yourself the best that you have it in you to do. To grit your teeth and clench your fist in order to survive the world at its harshest and worst is by that very act to be unable to let something be done for you and in you that is more wonderful still. Did you catch that? That this idea of trusting in ourselves, perhaps, and our own self-reliance, and we can do it on our own. These are very American values, right? Grit your teeth, pull yourself up, move ahead, you got this. Sometimes when we do that, we're missing out on something far greater and far better. We're missing out on the kingdom. What does it mean to trust someone else? To let someone else take you that next mile and that next step. What is it that we're having trouble 
letting go of, that we're putting our ultimate trust in? Is it in our own self-reliance and abilities? Is it in our wealth and our status? What, what, what is it in your life? Because these things, when we hold on to them too tightly, can keep us from the kingdom. And I tell you, it's not going to be sudden and obvious. It's going to be subtle. It's going to be small things here and small things there and day after day. And then one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that you're far, far away from Jesus. So what do we do? It's harder for us to fit through an eye of a needle, for a camel to fit through an eye of the needle than for us to get into the kingdom of God. And if we were to read on, the disciples say, well, Jesus, this is a really hard teaching. Who can possibly be in the kingdom? And Jesus says, no one. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We're called to trust in the one who wants to give us all things. The one who was did not, what does it say in Philippians, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he gave it all up. He became a man. He walked on this planet. He suffered the most um, awful death one could imagine, the death that we all deserve so that we might have life. He was raised from the dead, and now he's ascended at the right hand of God. This is the one we can trust. This is the one who has given us all things. This is the one who doesn't wait for us to cling to him, but clings tightly to us in spite of ourselves. Can we trust him? Can we be reminded daily of his grace and his mercy? And when we do those small things, just constantly, daily, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, our hearts will be changed. Our stewardship will be changed. How we order and prioritize our lives will be changed. Things that used to be important will no longer be so important. But bringing glory to God, following Jesus, will become the ultimate things in our lives. So as we consider what it means to be good stewards, may we begin with what is our trust? Where is our trust and our ultimate hope? Let us find it again in Jesus and be renewed and empowered by His grace and His mercy. Amen.